y'all. Welcome back to the Mark Groves Podcast. This week was such a pleasure for me. I had the absolute honor and privilege to have my partner, Kylie Macbeth, uh, on the podcast with me, where we danced in the subject of, you know, our relationship, her work, and she's just so damn brilliant, you know, and I'm blessed to call her my partner and, and of course, my best friend. And I'm really excited to share her wisdom with you all. I wanted to remind you of a couple of things. If you could hop on to wherever you listen to the podcast and give us a written review and a five-star rating, that's so helpful. Um, and on top of that, Kai and I are actually running a pre-Valentine's Day five-day challenge that starts on February 8th. To sign up, you just go to bit.ly slash mate magnet. So B-I-T dot L-Y slash mate magnet. I'm so excited for you guys to dive into this episode and get the goods on our relationship and a lot more on this wonderful, amazing human being, Kyla McBeth. I am so excited. Woo! So excited to be recording a podcast episode with my beautiful lady, Kylie McBeth, co-founder of Zura Health, a digital health company. I mean, sex pot, hotness. My lady, my growth machine, the woman who gives me feedback, who helps make me a better man. I reached out to you guys to ask if you had any questions for her. So we're going to be talking a little bit about our relationship, I think. I mean, I I don't know what we're going to talk about yet because we haven't talked about it. But babe, welcome to the Mark Groves podcast. (laughs) It's truly an honor. Isn't it? It's such an honor. (laughs) I love Um, listening to you. Yeah, well, introduce me. Yeah, wasn't that that felt pretty good? It was good. Did I leave anything out? Did I miss anything? No, I think you're good. I mean, I could go on about what I do, but go on. No, you're good. Okay, so first off, I would like people to understand where you're from. Tell people where you're from. Come on. (laughs) I am originally from the lovely city of Las Vegas, Nevada. Right. And, you know, we got asked how we met. We met on Instagram, everybody. We met on Instagram, the new Tinder. Slid into the DM. It's a real thing. I did it. Now, so Kai, let's tell the story of how we first met. How we met. How we met. So how did we meet? We met on Instagram. Yeah. (laughs) Mark started following my twin sister, Jess. And well, Shout out to Jess. Thank you for connecting us. Yeah, twin. Really looking out. Really looking out. She started tagging me in Mark's work about three and a bit years ago. And I was coming out of a divorce and doing my own healing journey. And the last thing I wanted to know about was how to create the love. I was like, screw relationships. (laughs) I don't really care about love anymore. I obviously (laughs) have shifted my mindset since then. And yeah, started following in, in. I don't even know. We truly don't know who followed who first. She followed me first. Mark That's likes to obvious. believe that. Well, yeah, I wasn't going through a divorce wanting relationship advice. <laughs> so, you know. Well, I wasn't either. Uh, you weren't <laughs> wanting it. You got an end of it on you. I think that's an important part to catch, though, about what you said post-divorce, that you were like not interested in relationship in a way there was like a rebellion or, or so to speak. I, I know when I my engagement ended when I was 27, I had no interest in relationship and I didn't really uh, understand the purpose of them anymore. You know, like I was so broken that I was like, why do people even get married? 
Yeah. You know, like I totally lost faith in um, the idea of relationship. Yeah. I started questioning all of it. What is marriage? What are, what are the purpose of relationships? Why are we a part of these systems and why do we blindly follow um, without asking deeper questions about the intention and what's, what's the real work? I think that's such an important piece for everyone who's listening to recognize is like both of ours greatest work and our connection. Um, I'm not going to speak for her, but was born out of uh, emotional pain. You know, like if you're in that space where you're like, I don't know what relationships are. I don't good. Start asking those (laughs) questions because um, often our relationships have been defined by other people, how we live them, what matters to us. Um, and not just our relationship romantically, but our relationship to our career, mm-hmm. our bodies, you know, everything. Yeah, absolutely. Start questioning one area. You're going to inevitably start to question all areas. Yeah. So you, she was living, living La Vida Vegas <laughs> and she was, you know, read and create the love on. Oh yeah. Yeah. Learned my best stuff from that. <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> and I was sitting at my friend Christine Chang's house in LA and uh, shout out to Christine there. I was sitting there and I was reading my Instagram feed and I came across a post from Kylie and I was like, oh my God, this woman's brain is unbelievable. And, you know, I have to admit to my cynicism when I found, you know, was following two health coaches from Vegas. I thought that was the greatest irony I've ever heard. Must have a lot of work there. That's what I was thinking. I remember thinking that. But so I actually wrote Kylie one night. Um, one fateful evening, and I said, I'd love to, I read your words, I'd love to connect beyond Instagram. And I woke up to... Yeah, I, I pretty much kind of was over, I was overjoyed, truthfully, because the night before in my journal, I had this crazy experience at this cafe in Las Vegas, and this woman came up to me. Long story short, she was like, it's time for you to open your heart. And I was like, oh, is it like, are you sure about that? Like, you don't even know me. And I remember sitting with it cause it really hit me somewhere deep inside. And I was like, you know what? I should probably reflect and look at how open I am to getting into a relationship. And that night I wrote in my journal, I was like, you know what? Here is what I'm ready for. I am ready to open my heart again. And under these circumstances and a big actual circumstance was really staying in alignment with my career, which is, that's a whole different topic. But when Mark reached out to me, I was like, Oh my gosh, that was way too fast. I'm the best manifester I've ever met in my life. I am the best manifester. (laughs) I was like, damn, you went to sleep and that shit happened. I was like, you know what? I do my best work when I'm sleeping. That's what I'm going to do. Well, you like. sleep a lot, so that's good. You should be. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and so, yeah, I was super stoked. I was ready to connect with uh, a man in the, well, relationship space, but personal development space, but somebody who could meet me in these places that I had been learning about and reading about for you know the last two years in my own healing journey after divorce. And so when Mark slid into the DM, I was like, Oh my gosh. Yes. I would love to connect me on the like button. And yeah, that was a line she used. It was like that smooth shit right there. Yeah. I, was... to connect. I always knew we'd connect me on the like button <laughs> no and games. I wrote her back and no I was games. like, well, that's pretty much the best response anyone could ever get. And I, that's literally what I wrote. Ironically, you know, Kai, I remember when we were talking about this scenario and Kai was like, see how good I am at creating things. I made you write me that night. <laughs> and I was like, well, actually a month before that, I wrote an intention that 
and I talk about this a little bit in you know my work, I emphasize this a lot, is I wrote an intention of I was ready to create a relationship. Um, I said, meet someone to build our empire. I don't know what an empire really is, but to build our empire. And here's the things I'm willing to do in order to meet her. And I will meet her by this date. And the things I was willing to do was live in my integrity, live at my highest level of knowledge, um, not pursue anything that is not it. And um, and so I made the joke that I actually am a more powerful manifester because I made her write her and, and meet that woman mm. in the restaurant. What do you think about that? Uh, I think mine <laughs> happened in 12 hours. Yours <laughs> yeah, happened mine, in 30 days. So uh, I think, I'm older than you. Yeah. So as a child, I made your parents, I manifested your parents being intimate and creating you. And that's, that's powerful. Yeah. That's powerful. I was like, yeah, wow. Uh, no, you know what though? What really came up when you were speaking for me was the fact that we were both living in alignment with what we wanted. Now I mm-hmm. could have not shared that post on the blog. I could have, you know, continued to stay small, hide my voice, hide my truth not share my story because it was a pretty intimate story that I had shared on the blog that day. And I was terrified. I was like, "Eh, I'm not so sure I want mom to see this, dad to see this, maybe my ex and all the friends (laughs) that I just lost, um, uh, share these types of intimate details. But I was like, no, like you can no longer hide out and play small. And really the divorce was a catalyst for me to step into my, my power, heal and feel and reconnect to who I truly am. But I, I'm so grateful that I continued to lean in and live in integrity with that truth because truly I would not have met you. And it goes back to who do you have to be in order to meet that person? When I said to Kai, when we talked about her divorce, I remember being like, that's my favorite part about you because I knew it was what catalyzed her to growth and expansion into looking at herself. And so, you know, for anyone who is in their shame about a divorce, um, just know that that can be the catalyst. And for someone who shames you for that, who's like, oh, I can't believe you're divorced, or you have that narrative in your head. I actually said, that's one of my favorite things about you. It can, all breakups can be such beautiful catalysts. And it was definitely true that in the time that I met Kylie, I was actually getting through really looking at my pattern of dating women who were, um, I wasn't ready to receive from, or, uh, yeah, just, I wasn't ready to receive from. And so when I met her, she finally really pushed me into this space where I had to start. I met my match, you know, I met the girl who's going to call my, um, my ass out, so to speak. Um, yeah, the feminine loves to challenge my, the masculine, right? Oh my God. I'm loving that ever, yeah. You love that line. Um, so, so tell us a little more, tell us, tell, tell me and the listeners. <laughs> A little more about where your breakup brought you, where your divorce brought you. Yeah. Open up. Yeah. I'm sure. I like to call that moment in my life, the emotional black hole. And really it was the catalyst to feel everything I had been sweeping under the rug for a very long time. Mm-hmm. All of the pain, all of the patterns, all of the denial of, of really just looking instead of who do I need to be in order to be loved by my parents, by my partners, by the world and society and really come back home to who am I and what feels good and in alignment with my truth. And so divorce was, gosh, such an initiation. It truly was a rebirth process. It was the death of my created self, 
or the conditioned self, Mm -hmm. which is who I needed to be in order to fit in and be loved. And who you'd created the sort of like, um, facade that that would get approval. Yeah. The The facade that would get approval. For sure. The perfectionist, the high achiever, the, um, straight A student, the one who, you know, never stepped out of line. I didn't have that one. I know you didn't. That is a good one, babe. (laughs) Good one. Yeah. But I remember sitting at my family dinner table and, uh, historically I was a runner. Like I'd always run away from pain and always chase the next high, whether that was the vacation or, um, yeah, the, just the bag. Was it a bag? Not necessarily. Don't get me wrong. I went through a a definitely a phase of wanting to become a fashion blogger, which, you know, there's not very, it's an open market. It's not very competitive. <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah. There's not a lot of Instagram influencers <laughs> in the fashion space. So maybe I'll step back into that. Um, so yeah, you were, you, you blew up the false stealth and. And I started reclaiming and taking this journey back home to myself. And what that looked like was reacquainting myself with what it means to be an emotional being. Mm -hmm. So reconnecting to all of my emotions, I had no language before my divorce about any type of emotion that I was feeling. I was so disconnected from my body and yeah, from anything that was happening inside of me, it was really just my mind was running the show. I was kind of an autopilot and staying in the same old patterns that had kept me feeling safe for a very long time. So that was like, oh, you are no longer one going to run away from your pain and you are no longer going to repeat similar patterns because whatever, however you got here is not going to get you out of here. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, permission to sit still, permission not to run. And I remember my father looking at me one day at the family dinner table and he said, you know, Kai, if you run from everything in your life, you'll never be happy. And I was like, your dad, he's a wise one. He's a wise one. He is. He's always like really at a certain point. I think I have life. more gray hairs than him, but he should have like a Gandalf beard <laughs> with some of the stuff he says. I know. Tell me about it. He saw right into your the soul. too. But yeah, so your dad said to you, stop running, woman. Yeah, he pretty much said, like, you'll never be happy if you keep running. And that was a big wake up call for me. I thought that was a, you know, that's a, that part that you were at, you know, sort of when we met. Um, I remember we were on our, uh, man, we'd been like our third date. And we were hiking in the lovely rolling hills of Las Vegas, Nevada, um, and surrounded by shrubs and cacti. And I, I said to Guy, what do you need in a relationship? She was like, <laughs> Not a- I don't need anything. And I was like, okay, Queen Bee, <laughs> let's calm down here. But I, I recognized, and you know, I was a bit reactive to that. I remember, um, not outwardly, I wasn't like, I can't believe you're saying that. But I was like, uh, what do you mean you don't need anything? And what I recognized was that in my male needs to provide and fix and be needed, I felt like she was saying she didn't need me. Mm. And I remember facing that. I remember being in the car with you and I was like flooded, like, okay, something's up for me, you know? Like, um, but what is, so, so uh, because I can always talk in the context, context of the masculine, um, I know you continue to and, and do a lot of work in understanding women and, the roles and what women have been taught. And Mm -hmm. I would imagine that the large 
proportion of the listeners are actually women or some spectrum of. Yeah. And so what was your understanding of what you'd been taught as a woman and how that came out in your divorce? You know, in hindsight now, what roles you took on, what was part of the facade that was constructed in terms of the messaging that women receive about relationship um, and how that's transformed in our relationship. But first off, what were you taught? What blew up in the divorce of what women are taught? Yeah, great question. Uh, most of the messages that I was sent growing up were actually very polarizing internally. So there was a lot of internal conflict because I was sent the message that I could do anything and that anything was possible and yeah, go for that. And then I was also sent the message of do whatever you need to do in order to keep the man in your life. So mm. his needs are more important than your own. So let go of all of the stuff you want to do, even though you can do it <laughs> in order yeah. to meet. You his can needs. be anything as long as it doesn't get in the way of loving a man. Exactly. Oof. And so for me, I had, yeah, it was really confusing. I was like, well, I want to do this and I have the potential to do that. But then it was like, well, how is that going to impact your relationship? And what about when you have kids? Are you sure you're going to be able to, you know, start that business and run that business? And I was like, wait, why are these mutually exclusive? Yeah. Right. And that they're at and they're in competition. Yeah. yeah. And even deeper than that was one, I can't stand on my own two feet that I need a man in order to be financially stable mm -hmm. in this world. That's a message that's sent to so many world. women. And if a man can't provide, he has no value. So there's sort of like a dichotomy, you know, like a, there's a split there that causes both people to feel yeah, inadequate. For sure. So hmm. also, you know, from a, from a very surface level, it's like you need to look a certain way in order to keep the man. You need to please the man so he doesn't leave you. You need to uh, <laughs> almost honor at all costs what it is that, the men needs the man needs in order to feel good at the cost of all of your needs and desires, not necessarily spoken, just kind of implicit messages that I was sent probably from society as well as yeah. not only in my family. It's systems. almost like, um, sorry, did I interrupt? No, go. go. Um, I think also the, what's going on in there is, um, the rebellion, which is the splitting of like processing the messaging from the patriarchy. Like we're in such a twisting time, a beautifully twisting time, but a painful one where we're being birthed out of um, our roles that we had to take on, Yeah, you know, which is kind of fascinating. And then to watch like your divorce was a reconnection to yourself, yeah. um, but also a reconnection to the deeper truth. And, you know, like uh, you think of all these like powerful women who were burnt at the stake, you know, you know, yeah. which really, when you think about it, is like women and women have for a long time been sent the message that their power is not safe unless it's behind a powerful man. Right. You know, and it, what do they say? Behind every powerful man is a woman. Yeah. Uh, right. What is it? I think there's actually one where it's a woman uh, waving, wagging her finger or something. <laughs> but, <there's, laughs> but behind every powerful man is a more powerful woman. What kind of message even is that? It's, you know, because yeah. that's supposed to compliment the woman. Right. Which I think is quite ironic. It's ironic, for um, sure. But maybe in if, if, if you were to speak to that, like messaging, and then how did that take on a role in our relationship or how was that a conflict in our relationship? I don't know the answer to this, but I'm very fascinated watching. Oh, very fascinating. Yes. 
Well, tell us, tell me and my listeners. Well, because of those messages, what that implicitly and then explicitly created in my life was a codependence on a male for security, safety, wholeness, fulfillment. And without that, then I would not be able to survive. So it was actually tied in with the deepest layer of, I think, our humanity as a mammal is survival. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So for me, one of the big things coming out of divorce was no matter what, make sure you have your foundation in place. Make sure you're, you're financially stable. Make sure that you are you know, in alignment with your desires and you stay really strong in those core values. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't, you're going to lean back in and fall back into codependency. And mind you, growing up and out of codependency is, I think, one of the most challenging. Growing up within a space that no, felt but codependent? Like, truly for me, growing up out of codependent, oh, codependency, okay, sorry, because yeah. I relate codependency with, well, that's a whole different topic, but like the inner child is having like I'm having to grow up and become an adult and, and be able and to nurture st- your own needs yes. and where codependency is about nurturing each other's needs, right. which doesn't mean that you can't do right. that. But when you're the whole basis of your relationship is, is meeting each other's needs on a survival level. Right. That's very different. Very yeah. different. Yeah. And so it was like, Oh wait, I now have to be the one who is reconnecting to all of the parts of myself and standing really strong in what it is that I need. Because I knew that if I was financially dependent again on somebody fully, that my voice would be oppressed. And it's so subtle. It truly is so subtle because it's like, you don't even realize that sometimes the resentment is coming from that coming Mm, from, from from having your partner pay for stuff or not even just pay for stuff. But like, if I, if my survival is attached to your financial capacity, then I'm going to. Well, you're dependent. I'm dependent. become dependent. Right. So then of course my voice shuts down because I, if I lose that, then I'm not safe. Right. So if I use my voice, I lose my survival. I lose my ability to survive because they can cut me off, which has been historically very true, you know, in, in when divorce happened in the eighties and Mm nineties. And I mean, I'm sure historically, for as long as divorce has existed, that women lost everything, you know, their support, the men cut them off, Yeah, in a, you know, in the patriarchal system. Well, in, if you look at how patriarchy has affected women for the last hundreds yeah. of years and tons of generations, we don't even have to go that far up to look at, look at even how grandma lived her life, seven kids, you know, and she was the mother of seven kids, didn't have a job, like was hundred percent dependent. And she was okay with that. That worked for her. But the messaging even sent to my mother from her father was women stay home. They cook and clean and he didn't pay for their college and education. So just the messaging around Mm -hmm. that is already so confusing when I only have to look up one generation to look at, oh, this is the role of a woman. And this is a messaging around a woman stepping into her financial potential as well, or her ability to stand on her own two feet and be powerful. That we won't even support it. No, like that is, you can't, like, that's not even possible, right? Because that's not what you're here to do. Well, you've done some quick work here. Three, we're together three years. I met you a year and a half after your divorce. Yeah. You were solidly killing it on your own when I met you. (laughs) And, you know, so that balance of like, I find that often people, when they go through a breakup, especially one where they lost themselves, Mm -hmm. they then establish a really good sense of self and they create 
these really beautiful walls around who they are. And then they think they've got it figured out. And when I say they, I'm always saying myself too. We, We think we have it figured out. And then all of a sudden we get in a relationship and we realize that we haven't healed anything. We've healed a lot of things, sorry. But without relationship, you don't get to put into practice how to hold on to who you are as you fall in love. And, and, and where you're, you're like, literally we have generations of teaching yeah. that is like, but you're a woman or you're a man, a man can lose himself in relationship too. You know, I love my men because they're often like, well, what about when that happens to us? And I'm like, I got you, man. I got you. I know what that feels like. So it's, we can lose ourselves too, but I think this is more historically mm-hmm. a feminine thing. Yeah. So when women get into a relationship, they lose themselves. And so as we entered a relationship, how did that start to show up? Fear. So fear. tell us more. A lot of a lot of fear around being in relationship. That because I could feel it creeping up. Like I could feel the tendencies to go back into the familiar space of codependency. Like a lot. And don't get me wrong, there definitely was elements in the very beginning, like of of not being able to express my needs and you know navigating my like. Um, the chameleon effect. Who does Mark mm-hmm. need me to be right now? You know, what is going to, what, and really what that is, is hyper-responsibility is I'm taking on the responsibility of your emotions in order to protect myself from my own emotions. And I've had to do that my whole life in order to remain safe. So it's it makes sense. Too. Yeah. That yeah. I projected onto you and I'm like, okay, who do you need to be? And, how- and the irony on the other side for me is like, I'm like, just be you. Like, I want you to be you, right? but you're not letting me see who you are all the time. Right. And then you're mad that you can't be you. Right. Well, you weren't mad, but you know, well, what I mean? no, like you're frustrated. You're, for, for sure, I, I was sense frustrated. The stress of that. Absolutely. And meanwhile, like part of my work at that time was to actually find my voice and stand up for myself. So there was so much healing done for me in that, where it was like I had wanted, I had to use my voice to invite you forward, and that was a lot of my growth. Was like, wait, I need boundaries too. <laughs> I have, I have needs. Hey, get well, over here. And I you think know? this is such a beautiful invitation into this type of work because there's so much realness in what we're sharing. It is messy. Yeah. It's when not any, going like, to be like uh, all puppy dogs and ice cream. Yeah, Although when it is ABC, puppy dogs and ice cream, it's great. You but, know, like do this and then say this, like, it's not going to be that oh, way. No, you have no. so many layers to your humanity. And if you can meet those with curiosity and openness, then it's like, Oh, okay. We can work with that. I see that. I can see that avoidant pattern. I can see how I'm trying to push away when you lean in for more intimacy, because I'm afraid that I'll lose myself because historically I have. And so just being able to name it is already the first step in taking responsibility for how we can show up and shift that in the relationship. Mm -hmm. So what do I need in order to feel like I can keep a hold of myself and be in this relationship and move closer to intimacy without being afraid? When I think one of the, like I learned how to reprogram or uh, soothe my nervous system in our relationship. You know, that was a big learning for me. And so I think for everyone listening, I mean, I believe the worst thing you can ever do is put someone on a pedestal. I think the worst thing you can ever do is you can admire people in their relationships, but don't admire them. So to a place where you can't be them, Mm. because the, the thing is, is like, I reiterate this a lot because I think it's very important that you're not different than anyone. You're capable of everything anyone else is capable of. You're capable of having any relationship, but don't make it so that a relationship is untouchable for you. You know, like Kai and I 
Well, that's a sign that you're losing yourself when you start to put your partner on a pedestal. Well, yeah. And and when you put other people on one, you made it so you'll never be able to meet them. So you're automatically making yourself less than, and that might be a familiar role. So if you're doing that listening, just, (laughs) we got you. Um, Stop doing that. Because I think, you know, we drive, I remember driving by people when I was single, seeing like a nice couple on a street corner on Cornwall in Vancouver. And I remember being like, why the hell does he get that? You know, that sort of like scarce mindset. And I caught myself in that. And I think we often do that too, where we'll be like, why do they get that? Like that chick's, she's not even nice. Why does she get a nice guy? <laughs> He's way too good for her or, or vice versa. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I used to catch myself on that all the time <clears throat> where I'd be like, I can't wait to get what they have. That would became my, that became my new mantra. And then. Absolutely. I've had people that follow you have come up to me at your events and were like, why does she get him? It's only because she's this. And I was like, wow. Well, first off, they don't know what a pro- what an unlucky prize I can be actually sometimes. Like, so, hold up. Like, why does she get him? I'm like, because no, she's- that's, let's, let's, let's work on that because that narrative is one, not supporting you at all. Well, it's not fair for you. Well, and then, yeah, of course. It, but it's interesting how even that shows up in our relationship where someone idealizes you yeah do not idealize me trust me <laughs> when guy has I'm to like, have conversations with me you would probably not want to switch seats in some of the well i love when yeah. <laughs> this is bringing up dr gabor mate on russell brands when he's like oh you're a mystic bro like or something like that and dr Burgers was like ask my wife if i'm that like <laughs> it's so mystic. funny because yeah. it's like we have all these perceptions of these people and then it's like oh wait do you actually really know what happens when i think it's to bring it back to a humanized thing exactly. like i was thinking about this yesterday that it's taken me 13 years of like a lot of education a lot of learning and I think, don't worry, don't feel like there's an ominous 13 years ahead of you to learn how to communicate because I'm still learning. And so it's a never ending thing. And my relationship, I'm always learning in all my relationships, not just with Kylie, but that, and you can do it a lot faster for sure. If you're open, that was me bumping my head around reading books, reading science, reading, and then, you know, sort of amalgamating or alchemizing everything. And I look back and I'm like, wow, I've been so many different versions of a man, of a person. I've been in so many different phases. Uh, The way I see the world has changed so, so incredibly much. And I would have never been prepared to meet you at 22. I got my first part of my education around communication was learning how to sell people shit and manipulate behavior. You know, I spent the first seven years of like my adult career life in college like reading about marketing and how to build rapport. I had a book called How to Get Anyone to Do Anything. (laughs) Oh, I did have a pickup artist book. I forget what it was called. (laughs) Neil Strauss's? (laughs) No, I never, you know, I read the game when I was older, but of course I did read it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There was a part where I, there was a phase where I didn't realize, I felt like my desired outcomes with girls, with women was, wasn't happening. And I thought there was something wrong with how I was engaging. Um, And so I wanted to learn these like psychological shortcuts that pickup artistry teaches because I was very much into behavior manipulation. Obviously I was in sales. So when I learned those things, it was amazing how I got responses, you know? So it was like not being available or like having witty comebacks, you know, and then seeing how that created tension and then to realize that it was... 
you know, I say to people all the time now, if you learn from a pickup artist or you read the book, like why men love bitches, that's a book Mm -hmm. that teaches you the same sort of unavailability. Eventually you have to become yourself. And eventually when conflict arises, you'll go back to your old patterns. You can learn all these superficial ways to get the girl, but when you get her or the guy, you won't know what to do with them because the person who got them won't be you. Yeah. And so it was me who was getting them. <laughs> it was my representative as well. Yeah. For you know, sure. and that's I, really I, what we've been working on through our relationship is feeling safe enough, regulating our nervous systems, expanding into the space that we co-create and create within ourselves so that we can co-regulate and feel safe to let all the guards down. Yeah. And we are, I think one of the most powerful things that I don't know really existed in any of my relationships before, um, no, it didn't, is that we are always a couple first. You know, like when we are looking out at the world, we're looking out at it side by side rather than from an adversarial perspective. And I think when couples are informally when I was in conflict, I was thinking like, do I want to still do this? Or, you know, when I was in past relationships, because there was no baseline security that we were actually choosing each other for the long haul, whatever that means. Um, as Esther Perel says, the longer we live, the long haul gets longer and longer. <laughs> when you were 35 and you signed up at 25, you only had 10 years if you kicked it at 35. But if we're going to live to 130, we got some, whew, we got some growth to do, girl. Yeah. Some really, some big containers for a lot of growth, which we all need. So for the listeners who are learning about their roles as women and how that's evolving, what is the first thing that you invite them to do when they're uncovering sort of these like patriarchal messages or as a woman wanting to maintain independence and be in a relationship, you know, like moving from that codependent thing, what was, how'd you do it? How'd you do it? Well, what I was aware of, that it existed for me. So I think one awareness, two responsibility, three, having the courage to have the conversations and bring what kind up, of conversation. So like, for instance, like naming the limits around my vulnerability, like there was times in our relationship where I was like, I just want to run right now. Like, I just want to bail. Like I am so afraid of this and just being able to name that already creates more safety because it's like, I'm not going anywhere, but I do want to because I'm terrified. Yeah. And so I would normally right now, my soul is running, but I'm going to stay right. Yeah. Because this is what I'm committed to doing. This Mm -hmm. is the type of work I signed up for. This is, this was a part of our relationship intention and the foundation on which we built this container. So one emotional literacy, every woman needs to understand her emotions and every human actually, not just women, but Mm -hmm. really being able to name, identify, connect to our bodies and the sensations in our bodies so that we can uh, then choose new patterns and upgrade our behavior based off of a deeper connection to self. And also, again, going back to that regulated nervous system, if you can't name it, you can't really express it. And if you can't express it, odds are the nervous system is still going to respond in the very same ways that it always has when anything, when there's any type of trigger to our own safety. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, self-exploration is imperative on this journey of being able to understand and reclaim your own story. And what have these certain, what are these big moments and small moments in your life? What have you made them mean about yourself, about your role as a woman, about what's possible in love, what's possible in career, what's possible in relationships, what's possible in life. 
And so really self-responsibility, reclaiming your story, coming back home to your emotional well-being, um, doing the work and healing around the mother wound. So the mother wound is this relationship that women and women, daughters, moms have all the way up the uh, generational lineage of their female like line. And what happens here is we have almost a double bind situation. So the mother wound is what happens when, or it's the result of being a woman in a patriarchal society and the pain of being a woman in that society, as well as the coping strategies that we've developed and adopted because of the pain of living in a patriarchal society. So that pain when expressed and usually does get expressed through the mother to the daughter creates this uh, can create this low sense of self-worth or always comparison. And this is where we kind of created by that. So like we're constantly comparing ourselves to other women. We're constantly feeling like we're not good enough because we're a woman like just that alone, or that we're not m- meeting this sense of ideal, which in a well, patriarchal society, all, you can't be the ideal because the ideal is a white male. Like When I think too, and I'm so glad you pointed that out. Um, also all the ways there's intersections with race and yeah, all the other layers. For sure. You know, so, so many layers to this. Yeah. 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 So sure. I just wanted to honor that, that yeah. for people of color, that's even a woman of color. Yeah. Or even if you don't identify as a woman or a man and you're somewhere in between there, there's so much, you know, to unpack on even a, a, the hierarchy goes lower. Yeah. So sorry. So continue soon, please. So it creates a double bind because if a woman is to adopt her mom's ideals, about what he loved and to well, feel safe with their mom. Just actually it's, it's almost, it's quite sad because in order to maintain a connection with mom, historically through these past generations, you would have to be implicit in your own oppression. So you would have to be, you would believe in your low sense of self-worth in order to stay connected to mom because she has a low self, low self-worth or low self-esteem. So you'll actually not all moms, but um, when you're disconnected from your power and you feel oppressed in a system and the pain of that oppression leads you to feeling like you're not good enough and all this shame. Can a boy take that on? Yes. Cause I feel like I took that Absolutely. on from my mom. Absolutely. You so know, like as I took a, on a lot of her, which I hear hey, listen, mom, nothing but love. Um, but I took on a lot of her, uh, emotional pain. I wanted, I felt like the sense of my role was to protect her. Yeah. My role was to stay connected to her as the most, I mean, I was for sure the most sensitive. I was the most outwardly sensitive child of ours. I was also the youngest. Yeah, Uh, that would be, that would absolutely. And it it shows up in sons as well. It's the mother wound. And then what actually happens is one, either the son and the daughter both want to protect mom. Yeah. Right. From her pain. So in order to protect mom from her pain, I either have to stay in the pain with mom and not grow or expand beyond her. Because if I do, if I start to believe in my worthiness, if I start to cultivate and create what my mom didn't have, then I'm potentially going to make my mom really upset. And mm. so I'm going to like leave her rage. in the dust. I'm going to leave her and I'm going to abandon her. And even then though- moms, I'm guessing, or uh, anyone who inherits this sort of wound. Yeah then sort of has an upper limiting in their language. So they might be like, well, why would you do that? Or would, would that show up as a way of um, passively controlling? Yeah, of course, manipulation yeah. is... Uh, but it's is like fear of the apparent. success of the of person course. below. because. It's- but it also comes from love because it's like, if you are too loud as a woman 
then you might get crushed by the patriarchy. So they might passively. It's it's so unconscious, babe. Like, of course, of course mothers, yeah. most mothers want the best for their daughters and sons. However. Yeah, none of this is rooted in malice. No. Of course. No. Yeah. And, and really the work for moms here is doing the healing work to one, find a safe space to express their rage in ways that they couldn't Boxing in the past and, and, and also grieve the losses, you know, grieve the, the losses that come with being a woman in the society and giving birth to children. There is a lot of stuff that we're not talking about for mothers. And we have this ideal mother who, well, we give in the, I mean, I'm in Canada, so you get a year mentally. Well, it's how long even, do you get in the States? But it, but it, yeah, that's, that's, that's so fucked, but what <laughs> now we got to put an explicit <laughs> yeah, on this. I was doing it's just, so good. I know you really, <laughs> it's just, I can't, even, fuck, fuck. I can't stand how the system treats women in America. Yeah. Like it truly is actually, I think part of the problem with the, why the reasons why our mental health issues and so many other, well, we take moms away from children or children's away from moms, right. When the bonding is like at its most important time. And we're like, hey, you just had a baby. We're going to need you to go back to work, though, because you're not working hard are enough. so disconnected yeah. from the core of humanity, like the core of our yeah, being. Absolutely. And it, we can see that. It we shows up it, everywhere. Right? The trauma is everywhere. And that's actually the big invitation right now in healing this. And I think a big part of that healing for women is this relationship with mom and relationship with the feminine in this relationship and what we've made it mean about ourselves and what we've made it mean that's possible for us. So, you know, the common stereotypes of look at all the things your mom did for you. Oh my God. Right. Look and at, then like, that makes us play small. Of course. But that keeps us complicit in our own oppression. Right. And one thing the child always has to remember is, is one, you can't save your mother. You'll never be able to save your mother from her own pain. That is not your job, nor will you ever be able to because you can't. So really, this is um, breaking down the pattern of how for women and for men, but let's stay on the subject of the ladies, um, how it creates codependency. Because right away, you're codependent in your mom's emotion and experience and journey. And you see a lot of, it's not that this is wrong, but you, it can be where there's no boundaries between mother and daughter, where like moms and daughters are best friends, which isn't a problem. Don't get me wrong. If you're best friends with your mom, yeah. that's okay. But when your mom is like living a 20 year old life with her 20 year old daughter, that's a very, there's a very blurred line. Well, it's, it's a, yeah, it's enmeshment. It's yeah. Really, it's enmeshment, it's, it's which toxic you could say is the mother wound in well, a lot of ways. In a lot of, it is. And it's codependency. But, They're all just but it different is. models of, exactly. of seeing it. Yeah. It's all the same. It all roots back down to that core relationship. So that can also happen when you're not close to your mom, when there's like an explicit disconnection mm -hmm. from mother's anger. You know, like I know a lot of people where the mom is so angry and like, you know, yeah, it's misplaced anger towards the child when really what she's angry at is the system that has and held her back. That has held her back. And it's not to play a victim role. It's to one name and acknowledge that it exists and then also do the work necessary to move through that anger, that rage, that grief, because their grief is valid. Their rage is valid. Mm -hmm. And so. Well, being able to hold that, it's really challenging as a child. I think, you know, it's challenging at first to think I have to hold the space for my parent. Like I have to actually look at them and go, Oh, and I know one of the most transformative things anyone can do, um, and was for me, was to see my parents as the children of parents. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, it was like it took them off of the pedestal or off of what they were supposed to be. And, you know, I was really blessed. You know, I have you know, parents who are 
both fairly, you know, my mom and dad are emotionally intelligent. Um, but I definitely, you know, it's interesting when we're talking about like inheriting and from my mom wanting to protect from my dad, even though my dad was not act was not actually a patriarchal dominator. But your mom grew up in a patriarchal totally. society. So it doesn't mean your dad was. It's well, the she system. was even crushed by the church, which was, right. you know, the Catholic church, which then I was born into that system. And then I had to have my own rebellion from that. Right. It doesn't have to mean that it's your mm-hmm. father, right? We don't have to identify. Yeah. So that's the, there's power in that separation though, because for a child, it, one, you could take it and take it on and make it mean that there's something wrong with you or that you're the cause of mom's pain, which some children do. Oh yeah. Right. Where it's like, Oh, I'm the reason why mom is so angry. Mom is so upset because as a child, you, you don't have the rationalization to s- separate. Oh, we're living in a patriarchal society and mom hasn't <laughs> been able to step into her power, use her voice and feel like she is worthy of being here on this planet and providing her gifts. We don't know that. So we make it mean, oh, it must be because it, it must in some part have to do with me. I am the cause of mom's pain. So that makes him responsible for mom's pain. And dads too. You know, that happens for both where a child, because children's minds are like, if my parents provide and treat me well, then I'm worthy of love. If they don't, I'm not. Everything is very focused on an internal dialogue about yourself till you're about eight. Yep. Till you actually differentiate um, from your parents, right? Ideally. Ideally. Yeah. You know, that parentified, what you mentioned of being the parent to your own parents is very... Um, it's unfortunate, but it's, you're trying to meet the needs of your parents and that's not the child's job. No, again, taking on that, this is why we talk a lot about there being such a need for, um, boundaries, you know, learning how Mm -hmm. to establish boundaries and in Kainai's relationship, there's been a lot of learning of like, what's mine, what's yours and what's your emotion versus mine. What's your need versus mine. And we've really, um, been dancing and continue to dance with the how to hold on to ourselves while we continue to build a relationship and um, where it's important as partners, like for me to call her out when she's losing herself or leaving herself or not servicing, taking care of herself and her needs and her to do the same for me. It's so, it's so funny that you're, I'm just reflecting on so many moments where, and and I think this is such a great trigger point to get curious about what role you're playing as a woman and what messages you were sent as being a woman and what you were supposed to do in the relationship. I remember uh, even just earlier this year, I made a, a, well, actually a declaration to Mark about wanting to take up 50% of all bills and paying that. And it would, mind you, I was still paying for what I felt was equivalent to my, uh, my income. But with this being said, I was like, no, this is so important for my own growth because I know that I am playing small in other areas and not using my voice because I'm not meeting you halfway. And it could be so irrational, but it was actually just so imperative to my own healing journey of being able to step more into myself. And because I remember I was like cooking dinner one night. It was so interesting because this has never been put on me by you, nor like at all. This yeah, is before nothing, the listeners get after yeah, me about this. Nothing to do with you. But I was like, gosh, I got to worry about dinner. And cooking I like this. a good woman. Yeah, I got to cook. And like, that's part of the role. Like you're in a yeah. relationship. You're the woman. You should cook. Like that's just. I mean, let's not totally get rid of that. No, like of that. course not. But <laughs> I remember feeling resentment oh. because I was like, wait a second. 
why am I the only one doing this? I'm running a business. I'm doing all this stuff. I'm trying to up level. And it was just so interesting to watch. It's like, wait, you don't actually have to. Like the driving force. I wasn't sitting upstairs like, I'm so glad she's cooking good dinner. Right. But it was so (laughs) subtle, babe. Like it was like, wow, this is so fascinating how deeply ingrained this pattern is for me that I have to be the one and that it's almost wrong if I was to order out or even provide a healthier option or ask you to support. Like, yeah, yeah, totally cook with your credit card. I'm a big fan of that right now because (laughs) I have so much output to my work in this world that it's, it's supportive. And so, but just being able to navigate that within myself and look at all the messages I'm sending myself about that is, is mind blowing because that's such a small example of how this shows up. It can show up in the bedroom. It can show up in the kitchen. It can show up in the boardroom, like so many areas of our lives that were, uh, just trying to be who we think we need to be instead of actually being and stepping into what feels best and what would work. And those patterns identifying as they're happening because they'll they'll slowly still be creeping in and they'll come in in yeah. weird ways right where you For take sure. on a role like I take on the very masculine role of keeping the grass cut and the garbage. Go for it. You know, yeah, you got no problem with that, right? <laughs> and patriarchy's fine then. In that moment, when I'm holding a bag of garbage, patriarchy is the best thing in the world. But yeah, I think it's a it's interesting as a man on the other side of that is uncovering the messages about needing to fix everything mm. and finding my worth and my ability to pay, but then resenting that I have to pay for things, right? Totally. So the other Same side thing. of this and finding my, what I've really done as a man is first step into being one um, by stepping into my truth and my purpose and not allow, not putting my relationship ahead of that, not to say that when it needs nurturing, it doesn't take priority. So for those people getting a little frustrated there, it's holding on to you. And the other side is that I've really put my worth in how, first off, instead of being a provider, I, I now place my worth in how I'm showing up as a human being. Am I living in integrity? I think for all humans, that's important. Yeah. I think for men, that's especially, now I, I think it's just as important, but I think we're often, we will sell out our integrity for things, for money, to be a good provider. Right. Yeah, so it fits back into, but we'll message. do it to be a good provider. The other thing is I placed it in me having a high level of values. And I think the most important part has been finding it in actually stepping assertively into a, my emotion, because I find what men and women both do. And you were talking about like our response to the mother wound is we're either as women, as women, like I'm like, yeah, as women, we <laughs> like, have a, really? Tell me. like when we're okay. menstruating and our endometrium is being, yeah, so, but I think one thing that I see a lot with men and women is that they are either too closed emotionally, so they don't allow access or they spill their emotions out and they're not managed and cared for there. So when a woman is referred to as overtly emotional, that can happen just because a man doesn't know how to hold her emotional space. Same can happen to a man but where there's no responsibility around their feelings and part of their identity is actually being overtly emotional um, or being blunt and expressive, rather, which makes sure they're heard, but it doesn't invite the balance with the other partner. That makes sense? Yeah, it makes sense. But there's definitely, yeah, they'd have to look at their strategies growing up. How do they deal with their emotions, their pain? How were they met? Like there's a reason why somebody I think ranges from, you know, Totally closed to totally open. To totally open and like just 
and being able to regulate that inner child and come back home to self and give yourself the tools to self-soothe instead of your partner or other people always being that person for you because yes. Well, and then being evidence that you can't because you keep repeating the same pattern of pushing people away or closing down all these strategies. But yeah. And, and two, there's other emotions involved. Like from a default perspective, men historically have been able to default to anger and aggression as their, you know, way to express, you know, yeah, definitely probably more aggression than clean anger, but women historically have been able to just access sadness. So the tears, and it's like, wait, there's more probably here. Well, neither of us know generally how to hold each one in those spaces. I mean, men can be terrifying in aggression. So can women. But women, when they're emotional, us men, because we don't know our own emotions, your emotion terrifies us because well, we're like, regulate. you're ca- crying. I, and we find so much lack of worth because we can't give you what you need, mm-hmm. even though what we need to do is just sit there and go, here, here, <laughs> Are you, what do you need from me? Yeah. My dad taught me that when I was far too old. He should have taught me much younger that when a woman is upset, ask her, Does, do you need me to help fix this or do you just want me to listen? Yeah. God damn it, dad. If you had told me that at like 18 instead of 27, (laughs) it would have saved me a lot of conversations. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a powerful statement to ask and, and just get curious and open and, and how can I support you right now? Like, what do you actually need? And our job on the other side of that question is to actually understand what it is we need in order to feel safe in these yes, That's our that's, responsibility. Yeah, you have to tell us how to love you so exactly. we can actually do it instead let, of making us go bang our heads against the wall right. trying to throw mud against yeah, it. Yeah, you got to let your sticks. partner win. You got to let yourself win. You've oh, always been amen. a big proponent of of that for me. But one well, thing you I, played whack-a-mole with your needs a lot. Before. Yeah, you know, um, it would require me to shift a whole narrative around, oh, my needs matter. Yeah. But it's huge shift Mm -hmm. into healing my relationship with myself and, you know, stepping back into my worthiness, which, uh, just, just before I want to share the importance of connecting with anger, clean anger. And the definition of clean anger is, is heart open anger. It's when we can actually tap in and have access to our fierceness, our anger with even a heart open space. There's still emotion present and there's still vulnerability when we're in this clean anger. Aggression is the exact opposite where we're shaming, blaming, everything's directed outwards. We're destructing personal boundaries of other people. So coming back home to our clean anger and making sure that our messaging around this emotion of anger is, is one that is healthy, can be really supportive in separating ourselves, one, safeguarding our own boundaries so that we can actually be an individual instead of dropping into codependent patterns. So we have to really look at that relationship to clean anger for wanting to climb up and out of codependency. And I'm not saying you have to. I'm just saying it's a it's really, helpful it's if a, you do. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's Your really life will supportive. be better. Your um, life will be better. Yeah, so that's... That's something that I'm just preaching all over right now because it's like, I can't even believe how much just that core relationship to my own anger has transformed my whole life. Well, I mean, your um, work on yourself and as a woman, as you keep uh, rising and rising and rising, and I just get to watch and be supportive. And I have to tell you, you're the catalyst to my greatest growth. You are constantly inviting me to be a better man and to improve. And I've had to learn humility and curiosity because when you give me feedback, I want to be like, <laughs> I'm already good at that. Oh my God, what are you talking about? And it's really, um, every time I take the moment to just let words sink or to, I get to see that you're always have my best interests in mind. You always want me 
to be loved and held, but, uh, you know, you want me to rise, which is a really, you know, going against the messaging you've been taught that if I rise, I leave you or some sort of thing that you actually encourage it. And I'm so grateful for that. And before we close this out, don't worry, everyone will have her back on, um, <laughs> is if people want to step into that stuff, you know, I watch the work that you and Jess are doing. I watch the work that um, your coaches are doing with you guys at Zura Health. And if I can offer a really beautiful testimonial to that of like, Zura Health is a 16 week program that allows you to go through this stuff to like, I really see it as like the education you always needed, you know, that this idea, but I didn't write it all. I didn't write any of it actually, <laughs> except for my section on where I talk a little bit on relationships in the course. Yeah. Um, but there's so many great teachers that you guys bring in along with you, um, you and Jess. So mm. can you tell people a little bit about where they can find you being as beautiful on Instagram? Yeah. But then, um, Zero Health, tell us. Yeah. So thank you for all for that beautiful, 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 beautiful words. And I'm so honored to be in this space with you and to can you continue to stretch, expand, and move forward towards that empire that you so desperately wrote down in your journal. Yeah, the empire, <laughs> the empire. It. I think we're defining it. It a dog. It. Totally. Kids. It's like, it's so much more simple than what we yeah. potentially could have been sold. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you can find me at, at being as beautiful on Instagram. My personal website is kylamoobeth.com. But if you really want to work with me and do the type of deep healing work that I talk about in in this journey back home to self is you can sign up and join on zurahealth.co. And this is a 16 week program. It's facilitated by a certified health coach um, in a group environment of six to eight other women and or men, depending on the group structure, um, where we go through all of these fundamental topics from uh, stress, sleep, boundaries, emotional intimacy, coming back home to our emotions, creativity, play, self-worth, the inner critic. So we look at mindset and really just this whole, this whole picture of what it means to be human. And if you are looking to expand your career next year, we're launching a certification program for or to become a certified Zara health coach where you'll be able to facilitate this 16 week program as well as coach and support other individuals on this planet. So a lot of really exciting things coming down the pipeline, but would love to connect with you and have you be a part of the Zara health family in any capacity. So if that resonates lands, we would love to see you. Our next program is, is always right around the corner. Okay. So before we jet, what are the top books that you would want that you suggest for people to look at the mother wound stuff, to look at, you know, the women inherited stuff that was so well articulated. Yeah, the women, the women inherited the stuff. The women things. Yeah. Uh, the stuff about the ladies. Yeah. That. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, personally, I've not read any books on it. Um, I've read a lot of articles, but I did a uh, healing the relationship with your mother and reparenting your inner child workshop, which you can find on kind of like that. Yeah. No problem. I'll link um, it out in the notes. Here, uh, guys, they're in the notes. What else? Yeah, and I can share a lot of resources. There's, a, I have a whole list of books, but no I problem. forgot the names. What's your of top those books. book that you suggest for for which people, part for women to read to help them in a relationship? Breaking free. 
Yeah, by? Uh, I believe it's Pia Melody. Okay. Any other top books? Oh my gosh, there's so many. You got to Gifts pick. of Imperfection, Brene Brown, yeah. Saved My Life. Classic, of course. Um, good old. Attached. Good old B. Brown. Attached, Amir Levine. If you listen to this podcast, you haven't read that yet, you're in trouble. Um, Um, Loving Bravely, great book. Um, By Alexander Solomon. Man, that one, everyone's got to read that one too. Okay, so those, in the interest of time, because I know I only have your book for a certain moment. And the last question, which I forgot to ask on the last couple of podcasts, is do you fold or scrunch your toilet paper? Fold. Fold. You are a folder quite OCD. So I can see that. I feel like there's a, uh, the OCD people fold (laughs) and the scrunchers or people are like, get me out of here. Anyways. All right. Well, it's been such an honor and a pleasure, my love to Mm. have you on here. I love you. And, um, everyone, I hope you have a wonderful day and please share and make this podcast circulate and go viral. Yes, yes, yes. That was such a fun episode. And I just feel so great and honored to be able to share this journey with her, but also to share her knowledge with everyone. She's just so damn smart. And I feel just so blessed to be able to do the dance of relationship with her and to learn and grow with her and to be able to share what that sort of looks and feels like with all of you. As a reminder, if you could leave a review and a five-star rating, that's so helpful wherever you listen to it. Also, sharing the episodes really helps too. And last but not least, I want to remind you of the five-day challenge Kai and I are putting on before Valentine's Day. It doesn't matter your relationship status. Go to bit.ly slash matemagnet, so B-I-T dot L-Y slash M-A-T-E-M-A-G-N-E-T. Till next week, lovers, I hope you have the best week. Chat soon.